welcome to Scaling the Summit, Radio Gold Style. Your host, Charity Bryan and Sandra K. Sims. I am your technical director, Ginger Aaron Brush. Let's get started. Welcome to another exciting episode of Scaling the Summit. We are Radio Gold, and I'm Charity Bryan, and my co-host is Sandra Sims. Buddy, how are you today? Well, it is pretty in Birmingham, Alabama. It's 70 degrees right here in the middle of something that's happening all around us. It's cold everywhere else, but it is warm here. Buddy, we are having a beautiful day here as well. Very warm, perfect golf weather. So it's too bad we're indoors, but you know what? I'm not disappointed to be indoors today because we are welcoming our next special guest to Scaling the Summit Radio Gold, our dear friend, Kim Graber from Illinois. Welcome to Radio Gold, Kim. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And I sure wish I were there because as I look out my window, it's snowing (laughs) and tonight's supposed to be sub-zero. So I wish I were there. Sub-zero. Okay. I just, you need to know, there's no way I could make it there. I could not. (laughs) It is, that is unbelievable that people live and that, I can't handle it. I need sweat and I'll take mosquitoes. Y'all, that cold is tough. Y'all I tough. would trade it right now for some warm <laughs> weather. That's for sure. But buddy, we do love our air conditioning. So don't get carried away. Come on now. <laughs> well, listen, I am so excited to introduce Kim today to, uh, to our listeners. And Kim is professor and interim head in the Department of Kinesiology and Community Health, and she's the former director of the Campus Honors Program at the University of Illinois. She received her undergraduate degree from the University of Iowa, her master's from Columbia University Teachers College, and her doctorate from the University of Massachusetts, so quite the pedigree uh, in our field for sure. Her research interests include children's wellness, legislative policy mandates, and the Scholarship of Teaching and Learning. Kim's published numerous articles in peer refereed journals and books and has presented her work at dozens of national and international conferences. She co-authored a book titled Physical Education Activity for Elementary Classroom Teachers, and she served as president and secretary of the Research Consortium, president of the National Association for Sport and Physical Education, chair of the Curriculum and Instruction Academy, and she also serves on numerous committee committees at the University of Illinois and is a fellow in the National Academy of Kinesiology and a fellow in Shape America. Buddy, I got to take a break after that. That's a lot of that's a lot of accolades. You Kim, are just as accomplished. Uh, Kim, very impressive. I mean, really, Thank you know, you. We, we always start the show off with people hearing about things and that's it sets a tone that the, the, y'all are so good. In other words, we get people in here that are, have great credentials. You have done so many things for our profession. Um, but I, so I want to kind of go back, if you don't mind, to your beginning days. Okay, so undergraduate, Iowa? Yes, correct. How in the world did you get there? I'm interested in how we, you kind of started there because I'm, I'm just kind of interested in a little bit of a storyline here. So give me give me the beginning roots here. Sure. So um, back when I went to... Uh, college, you know, for females, you primarily went into teaching and nursing. And I always was interested in teaching. I always knew I probably wanted to be a teacher. Um, And my first year, I went to a different university. I will not mention names, but it was a small college and I wasn't real happy there. 
And um, I knew I wanted physical education as a career and um, felt that I wanted a good university. And I had a great physical education teacher in high school, just amazing. And she had gone to the University of Iowa. And I knew a number of individuals who had gone to the University of Iowa. And so I, during spring break, I came back from the other university I was attending and decided, talked to my parents and said, would you be supportive of me transferring? And they said, absolutely. So I got up my typewriter that evening and I wrote a letter of inquiry to Iowa and was accepted there. And that's how I ended up at Iowa. And I had a wonderful experience there. So I'm interested. You said you knew you wanted to go into physical education early. Yes. So you, you already knew you, knew you wanted to go into physical education, but, and, and you mentioned your physical education teacher in high school. That was, mm-hmm. was that the selling point for you? You saw something early on that you went, this is, this is a profession for me. Well, I always loved physical education growing up and believe it or not, my other career choice that's so different was home ec. I also liked home ec. So I started in home ec, but it just didn't fit me well. So when I was in high school, I, like I said, I, I had a good sense that it was either PE or home ec. And I love physical education so much that I gave up my lunch hour, my senior year, so I could take an hour and a half worth of PE every single day of the week. That's how much I loved it. So my guidance counselor told me I was the only student he ever advised who wanted to have two PE classes per day. (laughs) But I loved it. I loved it. That's that's exciting. We always love to hear that, that the beginning piece. Yes. Yeah. Well, I attribute that to the great teachers I had. They were good. I mean, we really learned something. I became better skilled. I just had such a good time in it. Very nice. Yeah. So Kim, Kim, I want to follow up on that. Where did you grow up? Barrington, Illinois. It's a suburb of Chicago, about an hour from the city. And how far was Iowa when you went off to school? At that time, because there wasn't a direct highway um, there, it was about four hours away. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So in high school, were you also an athlete? I, well, you know, they didn't have many women's sports at that time. It was very limited. So believe it or not, I was a cheerleader. And then my senior year, they really started with sports. So my spring semester of my senior year, I was able to join the track and field team. And I loved it. And it was it was so sad to me that I didn't have that opportunity. But I also played volleyball a lot. I mean, it, any kind of rec league or whatever, So the University of Iowa had also started women's sports. So when I was at the University of of Iowa, I was able to join the women's volleyball team. Of course, you know, being five foot four inches tall, I would have no chance of making the team now. But, you know, I had an opportunity at Iowa because women's sports was just starting and it was um, a wonderful experience and some of my best memories. I'm going to take a time out just for a second because uh, my little friend over here is kind of, she's, uh, you know, she's young. Um, so you brought up the word typewriter and <laughs> I clearly have tried to tell her that those days typing was, that was a very tough thing to do. And actually, you know, that we would get to the end and you would ha- have an era and you'd have to start all over. Exactly. And she also doesn't realize how, how, she, how blessed she was that she had athletics because athletics, with their, and so I, I do think women and particularly in women's athletics, 
and these young whippersnappers that are coming up, they have forgotten that there's so much history. The typewriter and <laughs> athletics yes. is, is a is a big deal. So it I really is. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. So, so I have Kim, to bring that up to her from time to time so that she'll... Thanks, she'll thanks buddy. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I noticed you called me your little friend, and you know there's nothing little about me. So, you know, I'll take younger, the young part, but the, the little younger, yeah, the little part doesn't fit. So, Kim, I, I'm also going to take a time out. Did you come from an athletic family? Did, did your siblings play stuff, and y'all were always active as a, a family? Um, you know... To a degree, it wasn't as though sports were emphasized because there wasn't that much opportunity for women to participate in sport. But I remember they started like a little league um, when my sister was younger and she, she loved that. She loved playing softball. And we were, we were an active family in terms of my mom always believed in fresh air. When you come home from school, you go outside and you play. And I was kind of naturally athletic at the, at the time. And so, you know, I just, I couldn't get enough of sports. I was always taking a tennis ball and hitting it against the garage or playing volleyball, or we made our front yard into a softball field so we could play softball <laughs> and tetherball. I remember that tetherball and pogo stick and all of those things. I just enjoyed awesome. it. We'd have relay races around the house and my dad would time us between. My sister would go one way, I would go the other. We'd see who'd win. And it was my dad would time us. It was just kind of fun. Good memory. Hey, buddy, that that sounds like a really great parenting strategy on how to wear the kids out and keep them out of trouble. You know, keep them out of the house a little bit. Yeah, exactly. That, that was parenting 101. I like it. Well, Kim, you know, you obviously based on the introduction and, and you know, the introduction that we gave about you doesn't even begin to cover everything that you've done. Uh, but you've got such a long list of service to our, our profession that we love so much and to our professional organizations. And there's no doubt you had incredible preparation at Iowa, uh, Columbia Teachers College and UMass. Um, really just, wow, that's a kind of a trifecta of great experiences, I would think, um, in terms of your preparation. What was it like to study at, at Teachers College and at UMass when you, when you were going to school? It was phenomenal. I had such wonderful advisors. You know, the one thing I would recommend for teacher ed is to give uh, students as much practicum experience as possible. I will say we didn't have a lot of that at Iowa. So when I went to Columbia, simultaneously to getting my degree, I was teaching in a private school there in a K to eight school. And it was really my first teaching experience. And I loved it. So everything I was learning in the classroom pertained to what I was, you know, uh, teaching in the schools. And it, it was just, it was such a wonderful opportunity to blend what you're learning at a university with, you know, what you're doing in your work life. And I had a wonderful mentor, Billy Anderson, and I really, who sadly just recently passed away. I would have continued at Columbia, but we had to pay our own tuition. It was very expensive. Mm -hmm. And he recommended UMass uh, with Larry Locke, who's just a giant in the field. And I was so fortunate to have been mentored by two you know, stellar individuals. So I went to UMass and had a, a phenomenal experience. And it's really the institution. And my mentor was really who prepared me for a successful career. I was very, very lucky 
to fall under such great mentorship. So before we move on, I have to know, how did a, a young lady, a young person from Illinois who had been to Iowa, how'd you do in New York? How was that? It turned out to be the best year of my whole life. Oh, wow. Um, really? Yes, it was fabulous. I had gone there on vacation my senior year in college, and it was my graduation gift from my mom. My dad had passed away at the time, and I went there, and I had such a great time. I came back and told my mom I'm going to live there, but I didn't know how. And But I had taken one of my faculty members at Iowa she had moved to New York and was teaching at Barnard College, which is across the street from Columbia. And so she took me on a tour of Columbia and I fell in love with it. And I thought I'll never get in here, but I'm going to apply anyway. Lo and behold, I got in, found a teaching job through help um, with my mentor at Columbia and moved to New York and was set up in a, um, a residence hall that owned by Columbia with four other or five other, well, there were five of us total, four other uh, women from different parts of the world, Colorado, one was from New York, one was from Japan, Alabama, and we became best friends. I mean, truly best friends. I'm still close to them. We meet periodically in New York. So we couldn't go this past year because of COVID, but we all got together the year before and we became each other's support. And we had such a wonderful time. It was truly the best year of my life. Wow, that is so cool. That is so cool. So tell us how you became involved in terms of your leadership in, in our professional organizations, you know, I read this list and it's NASPE and it's the research consortium. And I think the first time I ever met you was uh, I was serving as, I, I don't even know how, I'm sure it was like, there was like a vacancy and they needed a warm body. And I think Melinda Salmon probably said my, my graduate student will do it. Um, but I think I met you that really for the first time, I got to know you on the research consortium board. Um, and those were such great days. And you know, I look at that list of fellows and I go, man, this, you know, it's, it's really kind of a, a fun, cool club to be in. And I wish we still had that. But how did you get your start in professional service? Sure. And, and I do want to say, Charity, that I still remember meeting you and just thinking what a lovely, <laughs> wonderful, kind, genuine person you were. And look at we're we're still close to this day because of that experience on the board. So, well, um, and I, 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 hey, wait, this is the Mutual Admiration Society. I love you to death, and I'm so glad. We'll talk about it later, but I'm so glad that you've been part of our efforts with the summit, and it's just, it's great to have you on board with what we're doing. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm proud to be affiliated with such a high-quality summit. Um, it's my pleasure. Um, so, I had attended a few. At the time, it was AFERD. It wasn't Shape America. It was the American Alliance for Health, Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance. And I had a couple concerns about things I wasn't real thrilled about with the organization. And I had met Mary Ellen Seville, and she was one of the NASPE employees. And she said, one of the AFERD employees, well, you know, Kim, the best way to make changes and affect an organization is to get involved with the leadership. And so she called me and she said, would you ever consider running for chair of the Curriculum Instruction Academy? And I agreed to run as chair and I became very involved with NASPE and with AFERD and 
had a wonderful experience. Their staff and their employees were just incredible. And it, it was a really good experience for me because I've got to meet people like you. And really the organization is all about the wonderful people you meet in the profession. And so, you know, it was my opportunity to try to make a difference and, and was the best decision I ever made was to say yes when she asked me if I'd be, you know, willing to serve. And we always had a joke because I started out chairing the Curriculum Instruction Academy, but then I became involved with NASPE and different aspects of Shape America. And we had a joke that once you were in in the organization, it was like the mafia. Once you're in, you can't get out. They'll keep calling you and asking you to do things. And, and it was all good. You know, and I think you've, you've pretty much answered the, uh, another question I was going to ask, but uh, I think when you're looking at serving your professional organization, it's so important to us. Um, and there's so many things sometimes that we, you know, as, as things have changed, um, opportunities have changed for a lot of leadership. And that's that's really sad for this next group of generation is that there's been some things that have changed where yes. you, you've been able to connect. And that's what we've, we've talked about so much on some of these calls is that we've met more incredible people that we would mm -hmm. never have had an opportunity to cross paths except through serving through professional organizations. That's That was our common world. And so many times these opportunities have changed. And so I know that's been so important to you and I, I and I appreciate what you're doing. And it's like the, with the summit, we want to bring some of those opportunities back, but just to get leadership uh, as a professional. And, you know, when you start looking at uh, the, the concept of, you know, working with future professionals and trying to get our young professionals and getting them involved, there's just not a lot of avenues anymore for them to get involved with some leadership pieces and, and making the dynamic connections that are lifelong. Yes. So, uh, you know, I, I don't really... I, I, I wish that there was a way that we could wave a wand and fix some things so that there's more leadership opportunities. But I'm so blessed that I came through at a time where those opportunities were there. And maybe it to happen in the future where we can get those back because I think they've been powerful. I think the three of us are all sitting here because of those opportunities. So being willing to serve and in those leadership positions, you have done that. But you've done it at incredibly high levels. I mean, those were, these are incredible uh, groups that you've been able to, to, to be a part of and not just be a part of the, the chair. So I, I would love to see those come back and I'm sure you would too. Yes, I would love to see them come back. I've been sad to see some of the changes that have occurred um, because I think it's really critical if you want people to really get involved in the profession and make a difference at all levels, it's important to have a strong professional association. And sadly, it's... Um, been reduced in numbers and size and the leadership opportunities I think are more limited. And I think they are absolute keys to success in the in the profession. And it they've been really helpful in terms of also building my own career um, and learning from the experiences that I've had. Leadership experiences are really important. That's true. Very good. Hey, Kim, so this is a segment we call Past, Present, and Future of Physical Education. And, uh, you know, I'm going to start with the past. What are some changes that you've noticed in our profession since you first got in it and, you know, till today, which you, you've just had such a, a wonderful and amazing career? Um, I, I'd just like to, what's your kind of global sense of how things have changed? 
Um, so do you mean like in the public schools or in higher education or just in the profession in general? Any, any of those, all of the above. Okay. However you want to, however you want to attack it. So when I first got into the field, you know, physical education was different than it is today. Now I think there's such a strong emphasis put on um, physical activity and, and being active as opposed to maybe developing some of the same fundamental motor skills you would develop. Now, fortunately, I went through really good programs and not everyone had that experience. So there is a lot of rollout. There are a lot of roll out the balls programs in the field. And that's unfortunate, you know, where students have a poor experience, they don't lose, uh, they don't um, want to be active and they feel like they're forced into physical education and they don't like it. And, and that's, that's unfortunate, but I was very lucky to be exposed to teachers who had a real knack for being able to help children, regardless of skill level, really enjoy the experience. But one change, I loved competitive athletics. For me, that was my niche. Um, I think it's changed a little bit. I think it's less competitive. And I think that's you know a good thing. And there's more focus on being physically active in class. So that's a big change that I've seen. You know, I think it's interesting. You, you brought up the part about that you, your programs were so good it led you to this mm -hmm. and can you imagine the schools where there's people like Kim's out there that have a roll of the ball person that never got the never got hooked because of the person that was in charge yeah so I mean I, I mean you were driven to this you your passion for the program of for the profession actually was because you had a great teacher. And I think so many times, and that's the scary part, particularly, you know, and it, when you're looking at high school and secondary, you know, I'm, I'm just came out of a methods class today and I was talking to my students about being that game changer, changing the way, whatever it was that you had, changing it into something better, dream something bigger. And I think so many times we may have missed the Kims, that great leader who never had a chance because they never saw a great program. Mm -hmm. And so kudos to your people that your teachers that you have, because they gave you a window to dream big and I, you, you've run with it. And I knew it was possible. I also look at teacher socialization in my research. I knew it was possible to be a successful PE teacher and really teach children something, not be just rolling out the ball. I knew that was possible. And it was, um, and I bet I was already socialized in a very positive way at a young age. And that doesn't happen with all of the people who go into our profession. Some go into it because they want to be a coach and that's their primary motivation for entering teaching. And they don't care as much as, about teaching as they do about coaching. So yeah, I, I was very lucky to have the experiences that I did. Very good. All right, I'm going to take a question uh, about this past present. I'm going to take the present. So we have this COVID-19 issue. How, are, how is your state, how are the schools in your state handling this? Because every state's different. I'm interested. You can either talk about K-12, higher ed, whatever you want to talk about, how, how, how your state's handling. Yes. Well, we were thrown into it like everyone else. So I think it's been a big challenge, not only for us, but for, you know, everybody across the, the nation and throughout the world. Um, the good thing is, is I think we've learned pretty quickly that Zoom can do 
help you to accomplish a lot. And I think it's going to change the way we move forward in the future. Um, I really think a lot of schools miss that in-person instruction. I think it's really unfortunate that students don't have that one-on-one, -on -one, especially children who um, might be challenged. They might live in a home with a lot of siblings. They're sharing bedrooms. They're sharing computers. There's not room for them to move around on. So their physical education online experience you know, might not be very high quality. Um, I know teachers also who are teaching remotely or a combination of remote and in-person, and they said it's so challenging. They go home exhausted at night. But I think we've all learned there are some good things you can do online in relation to instruction that might later on save some time, like flipping your classroom. Have mm -hmm. students watching a lecture and learning the techniques about something before they come to class so they're, they can sit at home and watch and learn how to do it and then come to class and be ready to engage physically in the activity. So I think there are some things that we've learned from it, but it's been hard. It's been a big challenge. Thank you. And I, I you know, I think that we're all kind of dealing with it. And I think my thing is, how do we prepare those, those future students? I know that my students were not ready, but mm -hmm. today, even all peak programs are changing the way we are teaching future teachers to be ready for this yes. to ever happen again. So uh, I hope it never happens again, but I do think that we are going to be better equipped. And I do, I agree with you. I think that there's a silver lining in some of this that we found some better ways that we're going to be able to get better. Yes. And then when we get back, we can all hug each other and do some things that we want to do, but maybe still have some of those other things to be benefit benefiting our programs. And Sandra, I think you mentioned such an important point. Not only has it changed the way K-12, I think, will be done in the future, but I think it's important for higher education also to take a lesson from this and to prepare future teachers to be successful at um, not only being able to teach effectively online, but also to be prepared for challenges that might come their way that they might not anticipate because who could have ever anticipated COVID? But things like COVID happen in life and how as a teacher can you be ready to pivot you know, without any advance notice and still be successful and be able to feel as though you're not so mentally challenged by it, that you have the skills to be able to still be a successful teacher. That's good. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's a, it's a great perspective to have that we can try to find something positive out of an experience that, you know, has just really been a radical shift for yes. all of us. All right, Kim. So, yep, yep. So talking about those future uh, physical educators, what's the most important advice that you give to your future professionals who are uh, about to enter the teaching field? What, what do you think is the, the biggest or best pearl of wisdom you can give them? I will probably give them too much information, you know, too much <laughs> advice. And they probably want to say, no, no, don't say anything else. Um, you know, I think flexibility is really important to be a teacher who can be flexible, to be able to, for example, you know, with COVID, to be able to pivot when something comes your way. Um, but to just be a, a caring person who really cares about making a difference in the life of a child, because you can make a difference. My teachers made a difference in my life. I mean, they 
strongly impacted my career choice. And you as an individual teacher can, can make a big impact. So there's only a limited amount of time that you spend with each child in each class. When you think about it, if a child only has, you know, PE once or twice a week, for a year, that's still not a lot of time that you're in contact with them. How can you take that limited amount of time, that 40 hours or whatever you have with them throughout the year and really make a difference in that 40 hours? It's not a lot of time, which means we can't waste one minute of time. We have to use every available second that we have with those children to make a difference. So, Great answer. Looking at, you know, research, you talked, we've talked a little bit about your past with your research and, and how you love research. How has that research, the research that you've done, impacted you as a teacher? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm very fortunate because I studied teacher socialization. So what I researched was um, really developed at a young age when I became, you know, active as a child participating in sport and physical education. And I tried to use that experience to um, impact my research and what it is that I study and to understand how people become effective teachers. And so every research question that I ask, I try to ask a question that I think will be able to make a difference, a true difference in, in the profession um, in terms of preparing better teachers who can go out and make an impact on children. Is that answering your question? Or no, it's good. No, that's good. And I think that, you know, research is so important and so powerful. There's different ways. And, and so I know that that practitioner, that, that, that's, that teacher that's boots on the ground, so to speak, the, the teacher that's in that K-8 school, whatever, how does that, how do you, tell me how your research is, is, is making its way to that area. Probably not as well as it should, to be honest with you. And I think most researchers feel that way, that we work really hard to conduct research that might be able to make a difference. And I'm not really sure research has been as impactful as I would like for it to be, because you expend such, so much energy, you know, trying to make a difference through your research. But it's hard. And this is where I wish teacher educators and teacher ed programs would emphasize more strongly to students the importance of joining a professional organization. So like when I went to Iowa, it was critical. Everyone was expected to join a professional organization. So when I taught, there were ways you could get extra credit points, you know, and I gave students multiple options because some couldn't, even though the student fees are nominal for professional association, not everyone has the money to join. So I gave them a number of options for how they could get extra credits. One was joining a professional organization going to a state conference. Our department sponsored their attendance at the state conference. So you're socializing and you're building a culture where they're expected. They know it's expected to be a good professional. You go to those conferences. And, I, and not every university does that. And I think that's where it all starts. You know, building a network of relationships with other teachers, other teacher educators, just like we've all become friends. Not only do I love going to a conference because I get new ideas, but the networking and the friendships that I've built have become lifelong. So, you know, I think we need to do a better, a better job of getting students involved in professional organizations early and 
helping teachers to understand that it's a commitment they should make um, to the profession when, when they become a teacher, because it's how you learn about research. It's how you become a better teacher. It's how you develop those networks. And, and, and I think that's what, and, and then you can actually share those at those state conferences and national conferences. Exactly. And then those teachers go in there and they come back so excited to mm-hmm. see how they can actually play and, and do and be a part of that. So nice job. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Kim, I say it on almost every episode and, and I'm kind of waiting on an accountant to call me one day, but I, I kind of joke that I don't think the accountants could possibly have this much fun at their accounting conferences as we do, you know, so Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just so much. And we hear this on, on almost every episode that we do. It's about those relationships that we've all formed, you know, at every level of our, of our service. So, um, Hey, I want to ask you early on in your career, you know, whether it was at Iowa or, or when you were at teachers college, wherever, you know, what was some good advice that, that somebody gave you that really, you know, really helped you or that maybe even today you think back on that, that good advice from time to time? Mm-hmm. You know, I've been lucky to receive so much good advice. Um, and, you know, some of the best advice that I ever received was uh, from my mentor, Larry Locke. He made a big impact on my professional life. And I thank him so much for preparing me in such a wonderful way to be successful. But um, Larry was one of the best writers and speakers in the field. He was phenomenal. And people would come up to him and they'd say, oh, that was the best speech I've ever heard. He was phenomenal. I mean, he would have hundreds of people going to his speech because it was so, so good. And, um, you know, he said the one thing that would bother him was people would come up to him and say, oh, that was so good, but it's easy for you. And he said, (laughs) if they only knew it's not easy, it's never easy. He said, I spend hours and hours and hours working so hard to make it look easy, um, to make it look uh, as though it just I don't, for lack of a better word, it just, he made it look easy. And he said, but words matter. And he said, every word you write on a piece of paper matters. So every word you speak matters. And so he really helped me to understand the importance of not only being a really good writer, that there was, that there was a real skill and every word you put on paper matters, but also like when you put together a presentation or a speech, working so hard to make it look easy. Um, And I spend, when I write, I tell my grad students this, because sometimes I'll get a piece of scholarship from them and I'll think, oh gosh, are they really thinking about what they're saying? This makes no sense. And I know they have a hard time believing it, but to be a good writer and a good scholar and someone who can publish successfully, sometimes I'll spend an entire day writing a paragraph. And I kid you not, I will write and rewrite sentence. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, I just want you to know, I am the slowest. So thank you, Kim. You've just made my day because I'm thinking I'm the only one that writes and it takes forever sometimes to, to, to frame something. So thank you. You've just made my day. This is well, I'm glad I made, but it's so true, you know, and then letting it sit for a couple hours and coming back and reading it. And when you pick something up, if you're not sure of what you're saying, and if you're even a little confused, then you can be sure your readers will be confused. 
and making sure all your one sentence blends with another. So he gave me those kinds of skills that I think were really critical to, to helping me to be a successful author and publisher. And it's because of that, that has also um, made it easier for me to have leadership opportunities. Because in many cases, when they're looking for a leader in the field, they're looking for someone who's published. And and without his advice and without the knowledge I acquired at UMass, that wouldn't be possible. Hey Kim, can I ask can I can I ask a sidebar before we move on? Of course. If if I had gone to graduate school and Larry Locke was my anything, professor, random guy down the hall, uh, person I saw in the parking lot, it, any of those things, much less maybe my major professor. I think I would have been so intimidated that I just would have had to either transfer or I don't know, go be an accountant. I don't know. I mean, did it, so when you were there, did you ever just sit in class and go, OMG, this is kind of a big deal. Like oh. this is really kind of a big deal. You make me, you make me laugh because I'm just like you and charity. I don't, I think I talked to him maybe twice my first year. I avoided <laughs> him because I was so afraid of him and yeah. he's not an intimidating person. He's the nicest person. So is Bill Anderson, but it was the stature that they had in the field mm -hmm. that respect people had. They were so big in the field. Uh, you know, Daryl Seedentop, same thing. I Judy Brink, I'd see them at a conference. Mm -hmm. I'd be afraid of them. I'd be afraid to talk to them. But, you know, it was just finally sitting down and saying, okay, you know, I think it was Larry approached me. He's like, okay, we need to meet more and, you know, tell me about your ideas. And he made me, he had such a knack for making you feel smart, even when you weren't at the time, or he made you feel like you had good ideas, even when I'm sure I didn't at the time. <laughs> and we started out, he would give me an article to read. And I remember the first article, I was supposed to summarize a certain aspect of it at, at our seminar, grad seminar. I didn't even understand the article. I was so nervous. I asked one of my roommates, you know, what's this about? What should I say? And she told me what to say. And I wrote it down on a piece of paper. And I think I read it. And I think he knew how scared I was. And so one day he said, let's go to have lunch and let's sit down and talk about this article. And I was terrified. And he took out a napkin. I still remember. He took out a napkin. He's, he said, okay, let's build a flow chart. So what was the first thing they did for their research? And we, on this napkin, built a flow chart of this research study. And then he'd say, what do you think the weakness was in the research design? Mm -hmm. And he made me feel through his questioning, he always, it was a real guided discovery method. He got me to that right answer and he didn't tell it to me, but he asked enough questions that took me to that destination. And he helped me to feel smart, even though, <laughs> or knowledgeable, I guess I should say knowledgeable. He made me feel knowledgeable, even when at the time I'm sure I wasn't. But it was through doing that on a regular basis and building that confidence. Well, that's a real gift. And I am absolutely a thousand percent confident that you inspire that same feeling with your grad students. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm in awe. I'm in awe. Buddy, it's your turn. I, 
I, I relinquish yeah. my time. I should say one thing I should say, you know, he was tough. I mean, he was tough. He would not just accept mediocrity. And for that, I will always be grateful because I won't accept it in myself. And I won't accept mediocrity in my students. And I'm sure at the time they hate me for it. But down the road, they seem to be very appreciative. You know, after hearing all this, this next question is just absolutely I, I, I can't even imagine I'm asking this question, but I'm going to say it anyway, because you are destined to be a physical educator. You are destined to be a great researcher. You're destined to change the impact of, of all the kids that you've had or the students you've, you've been able to be involved with in their life. But if you had a different, if you had a chance to change your profession, would, what would it have been? What would, what would another profession have been like for Kim? Well, I love that question. I think that's such a good question, um, you know, because it's funny. Sometimes I'll say, if I had to choose another career, what would it be? And it would have been, this is funny, an airline pilot. Um, oh, cool. and yeah, women, you know, just weren't able to go into fields like that when I was growing up. You didn't have that opportunity, but I love to travel. I love to get on an airplane. I know as crazy it is, as it is, if I'm in coach, I'm happy. If I'm on an airplane, I'm happy. I've been going through withdrawals this past year. And so I would have loved to have been going somewhere different every day of the year. I think it's something I would have loved. I don't mind the inconvenience. It doesn't stress me out. I don't mind the pack. Well, I don't love the packing, but I don't mind, you know, getting to the airport or I'm happy at an airport and I love airplanes and I think I would have been, a, I think being a pilot would have been fun. I, I, I'm glad that you didn't leave this profession to do that, but I, I can only imagine, and I, I, I don't think it's too late. Go ahead and get your airplane. I could. There you go. Exactly. You could become, this could a be good point. a second. <laughs> this That's could be a very good you point. Actually have your own trip. We'll, we'll fly with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kim, I want to go back to one of your earlier responses though, when you were in early kind of deciding about a career. So how, how good did you get at the home ec thing? Like, can you, can you sew and like, are you a good cook? I mean, I was never a good cook, so I should emphasize that, but I liked the sewing for some reason. I liked creating things. So when I was in um, seventh grade, that was when we first had home ec, we, everybody made the same skirt. It was a square Ooh. and you sewed the side seams and then you put the elastic in and everyone wore that skirt all the time to school and you knew that they had made it in home ec, but I, I really <laughs> liked it. So in eighth grade, we were able to decide what we wanted to make. And I decided I wanted to make a blue vinyl maxi coat. And my mom is like, there's no way. The only thing you've ever made is a skirt. And I kept saying, I can do it. So she called my home ec teacher, Mrs. Detweiler. And Mrs. Detweiler said, well, if she has an interest, and if she's committed to it and wants to do it, I'm going to help her do it. And I think you should let her do it. And so that was my home ec project. And at the end of the year, it hung on the library wall. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah, yeah. My blue vinyl maxi coat. Nice. Okay. So a blue vinyl, one more time. What? A maxi coat. That meant it went all the way down to the ground. That was oh. really in style at the time. So wow, you know, it was funny. Yeah, it was so, gosh, 19, late 1960s, you know, it was Okay, it was funny. so is 
so did you finally get it off the wall at the library and you can did. wear it or is it still I didn't there? Wear it. No, I still, I wore it. And, um, you know, it just was an interest after that because I realized I could do it. My mom was great. Anytime I wanted to make anything, she'd buy the material. So I knew it was a great way to get new clothes. If I want to make yeah. it, mom wanted me to learn. So it meant I got new clothes. Um, so I know that the home ec and the PE don't always fit. You know, they're kind of very different career fields, but it was the sewing that I enjoyed. But then it just didn't, it didn't have the same allure, the same interests when I was in, in college. It didn't, it, I didn't enjoy it as much as I did in high school. And I still really like the sports. And I think that's what shifted me into physical education. Hey, buddy, it is a good thing that we have never had to make our own clothes. I just want to go on record that's right great. now that that would, oh, wow, that'd be rough. All right, Kim, back on track. Uh, so what is one common myth about our profession that you would like to debunk if you, uh, if you could just talk to the whole world beyond our 31 listeners, of course? Yeah. So I've, I think the greatest myth is that teachers who can't teach, teach PE. Mm -hmm. That bothers me so much whenever I hear that in a movie or on a TV show, because I think some of the greatest teachers, even though physical educators get criticized a lot for being roll out the ball, there are some that are just phenomenal. They dedicate their lives to the profession. They spent so many hours working with kids and helping them be the best they can be, you know, both teachers and coaches. And uh, so that's something that's always bothered me because I want to say some of the best teachers in the world are those who teach PE and some of the best and smartest individuals are the world in the world are those who don't go into business or into medicine, but go into teaching because they want to make a difference. I think it's interesting that's great. you brought that up about the TV show because I asked my students, I, I would like to have a, see a TV show or a movie that's not about being a great coach, but being a great physical educator. I'm, I'm looking for that. Yes. Yeah. I, we, need, we need that show. Exactly. So we can go back and say, there it is. We really, I, I don't know. That's, so that's a good point. I agree. I agree. We need that. And there's such a myth that the field is, doesn't have great professionals and it does. I think it has unbelievable professionals. All right. It's my pleasure always to ask this question of our guests. To, you've you've had you've done a lot of name dropping. I'm gonna be honest with you. You have people that are iconic uh, that you've had a chance to work with and and uh, to be under in, in leadership ways and also to work with them. If if you had to name somebody, this is a time that you could give a shout out of, of thanks uh, that they influenced your career. You know, I always I always say, hey, you could pick three, but really, Kim, you could pick as many as you want. Uh, or just one. So I, I would love to know who, who is really, who are the people that have influenced your career that you want to give them a shout out? I'm, I'm so glad I can answer this. So obviously, you know, Larry Locke and William and Bill Anderson, Larry Locke from UMass, Bill Anderson from Columbia, but also Tom Templin from, he was at Purdue, now he's at the <laughs> University of Michigan. Um, when I was interested in teacher socialization, Larry said, you know, Tom Templin at Purdue University was an associate professor at the time. He's doing some interesting work in teacher social. You should give him a call. It took me two weeks to get up the courage to call him. I was so nervous. <laughs> and I called him 
and he was as nice as could be. And we have become lifelong friends. We publish all the time together. Um, when I was already in grad school, he invited me to be an, an author on a chapter, which was huge wow. in a book he was writing. And so he really mentored me in many ways through my career and we are dear friends. And so he was really important in my career. Ironically, um, because it's, it's not like I got, they were my mentors, but Amy Woods and Kevin Richards have been really important in my career. Um, we publish together. We have similar research interests. Um, Amy's such a dear friend of mine. Um, and we've published for many years together. And Kevin is a newer faculty member here, but I got to know him when he was a, a grad student and we became good friends and we were able to recruit him to Illinois. And I mean, I've met so many incredible professionals, but you know, those were some really key individuals in, in changing my life. But then of course, I'm so lucky. I've had the opportunity to meet so many others, you know, Daryl and Judy Rink and Amelia Lee and just, Melinda Solomon, wonderful people. Wonderful. Tom McKenzie. I mean, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. I could go on and on. The list. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. Woo. Yeah. And you know, it's I think it's so cool when you reflect on that, the fact that you you could go on and on and that you've had we've all had so many great people in our in our life. You know, it's our professional life, but yeah. Um, you know, these folks really do become become family. So, uh, again, I, I hope the accountants are ha having a, as great a time as we are. I, I, I'm I just know. not sure, <laughs> you know. Well, Kim, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Amy Woods uh, because you guys were so gracious uh, in 2020 to serve as co-chairs of the uh, the research section for the health and the first ever health and physical literacy summit. And you were there, you came, you presented, uh, you, you were there with us. And, you know, it's funny because that was really the last time we were all yes. together, you know, because it, just a few short weeks later, the world just turned upside down. So what role do you see the summit playing in providing professional development uh, for the, the wonderful people in our field? What, I mean, based on your experience there, what, what do you think is the future of the summit? Oh, I think it has huge potential. And I really hope it's something that will continue, particularly in person. What I really liked about it was the opportunity to bring a group of really committed and interested individuals into, into a room. And we gave a little presentation, but we also had a conversation. It was a conversation because there was so much knowledge in the room with all of the people sitting there and all of the collective experiences that they brought to that conference room. And I had such a wonderful time. And, and I know they came into the room thinking that they'd be learning from, it was Amy, Kevin and I presenting that they would be learning from us. And we also learned from them. I got some research ideas from them leaving the room and it was just, it was so nice. And, um, as I, I always go to the Shape America conferences. I think they're great. I wish everyone would go. Um, but I think your conference also fills a void in the, in the profession that I think is really important because it's a smaller sized conference. So when you go, you can really talk and network and get to know people. Um, and I just think it was a really fun opportunity. I plan to go back again. And in fact, that was the last time I was in an airplane coming back from that conference because right after right. COVID, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, right after the conference, COVID hit. Mm-hmm. In fact, we were talking about it at the conference. A few cases were starting to come into the U.S. related to COVID. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. It's the timing. Yeah. And I'm sad it's not held this year, but fingers crossed next year. Oh, yes. 2022. It is on. It is on. Did you have a favorite memory from your time in Birmingham? I, I know did. you're... Uh, you were there very for a very brief time, but what was your favorite memory? My favorite memory was the auction. That was incredible. <laughs> that was so much fun. I cannot believe how many people were in that room and how excited people got. And the items that you had up for auction, like you had a basketball that Pat Summit had signed. I mean, it was it was incredible, all of the cool things that you had at that auction. And I had so much fun. And the food was great. Well, good. Yeah, You're not the first person to say that the uh, silent auction was their favorite thing. That was really fun. I mean, there were, of course, the sessions were really good and interesting, but that was something that I had really never been exposed to that much. And that was just really fun. But I think how you knew each other, you were just such good friends. I'm sorry, Sandra, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I was just going to say, this is, I I know Zoom is great. Zoom, we can make reconnections. But being in room and feeling the energy and being able to hug people's necks, you know, I think that that's what we we miss so much is that getting the opportunity. So I know you've gone to numerous conferences and you you've ha- you have probably great memories. But we always we like to ask: Is there a memory that you want to share that of any conference, something that was just of your storied career, all the places you've been? Is there a memory that you want to share with our guests? Yes, I would love to share this memory. And, you know, I feel so blessed in my career. Honestly, I feel like one of the most blessed people because I always seem to be in the right place at the right time. And really by happenstance, it wasn't anything that I intentionally did. But I, I had the opportunity to go to the first invisible college of the American Educational Research Association. Mm-hmm. It was organized by Mike Metzler. And it was, AERA was being hosted in Washington, D.C. And he brought together 30 to 40 of the biggest names in the field at the time. And it was a two-day pre-conference where we sat around and talked about ideas And every hour, maybe there was a new session topic. And the people in that room, I cannot tell you what that was like. I've had people say to me, you are the luckiest person that you were at that conference. I hear about that. You know, I've heard about that my whole career. I wish so much that I'd been born earlier so I could have been there. But (laughs) people like Musa Mostyn were there, you know, from Styles. And of course, it was, you know, Daryl and Larry, but it was George Graham and Don Hellison and Paul Shamp, Tom Templin, Judy Rink, Amelia Lee, um, Kathy Ennis, you know, so many Mm. incredible people who really made a difference in the field. And we sat around and we talked about ideas. And and like I said, Mike Metzler organized it. And Mike has been such a leader in the field, starting JTPE, Journal of Teaching and Physical Education. Mm -hmm. And I feel so lucky to have been at that conference. Okay, Kim, I'm going to go ahead. You're, you're being a little, I'm really, you, you say lucky. You were invited. You, you, you went to this thing because everybody respects you as well. So you're all these names, your name is, Mm-hmm. Equal is even with these groups to people. 
So I know you don't want, you're very humble, but I'm just saying you're very. in the right place, right place, right time. Yes, but you're blessed and you give yourself opportunities. So well done. I can't imagine being in that room. That had to that be so an incredible cool. experience. So, best, one uh, of the best memories of my life. And, but I was only a grad student at the time. So you can imagine being a grad student, how intimidated you were. I remember sitting there. I still remember what I was wearing because I was so nervous. I was like, what am I going to wear to this? You know, how do I? Wait, did you, did you wear your blue, your blue, what is it? Coat? Your blue? Oh, my blue max coat. coat. <laughs> yes. No, I didn't have that with me. Oh, but it's Such a good memory. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Hey, hey, buddy, I'm going, I'm, I'm taking a time out again. Um, but I got to tell you, uh, Kim, to close your ears. My favorite thing about Kim is that I mean this in all honesty is she, she is a big dog. She has done it all in our field. She's done the research, just incredibly respected. But Kim is a person that you can talk to, engage with, hug, have a wonderful conversation, not a, not a hint of ego or any you know you can you should have a head the size of of the room you're sitting in but you're just such a delightful person to to be with and to talk to and to spend time with and you know you're you're a big dog but you you're you're just such a a great person to be around so thank you for that thank you thank you that's really nice of you to say but I think most people if they you know, I remember, you know, Larry would say, oh, people think I'm such a big deal. He goes, but I'm just Larry, you know, basically, I don't <laughs> feel that way. I feel like everybody else. And, um, you know, I just, I love seeing all of you, you know, I really do. All right. Well, we're going to do some fun personal questions to get to know Kim. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So when you were a little kid, all right, before your great physical education experiences, when you were a little kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? You're going to laugh. I wanted to be an FBI agent. Oh, or that's an a actress. great choice. <laughs> yeah, I, to... yeah. I, I wanted to do that too. Did you really? Oh, yes. Do you, do you love true crime? Do you watch and listen to all the true crime stuff? I mean, I can scare myself into oblivion with no problem it's so and there was a show on tv it was about the fbi and it was efren zimblis jr i still remember that name he was the actor of it and i remember thinking i'd love to be in the fbi that's so cool (laughs) that is awesome all right buddy your turn okay i'm sorry but you've made her day that you that you have the same thought isn't that funny that you think that too Okay, okay, but I got to tell you, this is this is why I couldn't do it. So I was, I was so worried as an only child. If you know, it's a kind of a dangerous line of work, right? I mean, you you might yes. have to go take down a drug a drug cartel. And I thought, oh, if something happens to me, my poor mother, <laughs> you know. Oh, that's so, so I, sweet. I, just, I I thought I couldn't put her through that. So teaching seemed like a you know, it was an absolutely great, perfect choice for me out of college. It shows what a caring person you are. Well, thanks. She's a good mom, right, buddy? <laughs> she is. Okay, I get another question. Uh, if you could live anywhere else, where would you? Where would you live? Anywhere warmer than here. <laughs> <laughs> good answer, right now. Yeah, yeah. I'll For probably today. move to Arizona when I'm ti- when I retire. I 
used to teach at the University of Arizona. I was there for three years and I love the warm weather. If I could live anywhere for like a year, I would love to live in Africa and I'd love to like help lead safaris. I've got on a Mm. few and I love it. And I find something so mystical and magical. Mm -hmm. And when I'm there, it brings out something in me that I never experienced anywhere else. But I'll retire in Arizona. Okay. All right, Kim, Kim, where where all have you been in Africa? Um, So I've been to uh, Kenya, Tanzania, Botswana, Zambia, and Morocco. Wow. So in South Africa, amazing. South Africa. And I've been able, to, I was, I've been there three different times, each for an extended period. And I mm. just fell in love with it. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I've been to South Africa for, you know, 10, 10 12 days. And it was, uh, oh. it was, it's life changing. It's it truly is. a life changing place it to visit. Is. All right. So Kim, what's the best advice you ever received from your mom or dad? If you start something, you don't give up and you don't quit. I mean, if you obviously, if you have to quit a job, you do, but you give them two weeks notice, but you don't quit something once you start it, you see it through. So if you make a commitment, for example, to be on a team or to take some kind of lessons, you see them through. And, and that was hard for me as a child because there were things that I started that I did not like. Um, I remember even going to summer camp. I wanted to go in the worst mm-hmm. way. And the first camp I went to was for four weeks. I was in fifth grade. By the oh, wow. first, uh, yeah, the first day I loved it. I wrote my mom, I want to come back next year. And probably three days later, I wrote to them and said, I'm homesick. I want to come home. And they called the camp director and I was crying on the phone and they said, you know, you've got to see this through, Kim. It's four weeks and you really wanted to do it. You have to you have to get over the homesickness and, and see it through. And I did. And when I first went to college, I had that same horrible feeling of homesickness. But I knew I could make it through because I had been through that experience at the summer camp. So. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of tag on what you just talked about, about your family. And I'm, I'm going to go to a question. Your family is so important to you. It's, it's, yes. it's, it's, it's a huge piece in your world. And, and just by that, you know, the, the nugget of information of here's, here's the best advice. What about this influence of your family on the, on your career? I mean, I, I, I can see that you've been able to see a lot of things through. You've been a stay with it mm-hmm. kind of woman. So what, how, how is your family, this, the, the connection that with your family, how has that helped you steer on into this career of an incredible career that you've had? Well, I think probably the most important was um, college. You know, in our family, it was like you go to college. It wasn't anything that you think about. It was, it was kind of like going to high school. You know, and I was very lucky to grow up in a family where we could afford college. You know, that is not possible for a lot of people. And college has become incredibly unaffordable for many. And um, it, we need to do something about that. But, you know, both of my parents had been to college. They knew where it could get you in terms of a career. So, you know, growing up, it was just something you do. It's like going to middle school or high school, you go to college. And so even when I was incredibly homesick and thought about wanting to go home, I thought, oh, I don't need this college. I thought about that for about three seconds because I knew it wasn't an option. You go to college. Mm -hmm. And so just 
just that influence on my life, the importance of education and where it can get you down the road. And so I was lucky to have my family support for that. And you have great genetics. I'm telling you, you're, you're, the genes your mom has given you. I mean, that's pretty, pretty amazing. So they'd uh, be well happy done. to hear that. <laughs> I was lucky. I have great parents. Yeah. yeah. And I'm very close to my mom to this day. Wonderful. Well, hey, we are a big fan of moms on this show. So, we are. Uh, yes, and yeah. I've seen on Facebook, Charity, I've seen pictures with your mom, and I can tell that you're so close to her. Beautiful yes, pictures. Thank you. We're, we're very close. Uh, Sandra and I share this thing in common that we're not sure how we came out of these tiny little women. You know, these little, 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 little small people. Um, but, but anyway, all right, Kim, last question before our favorite part of the show. What's, what would be a perfect weekend for you? Perfect weekend. Um, well, not having COVID would be nice. I'll take right. anything right now, but, but you'll laugh at this. A perfect weekend for me would be going to Las Vegas, staying at the Bellagio Hotel, going down to the pool during the day, reading, having a couple cocktails and going gambling at night and maybe to a show. I know that's crazy and a lot of people don't like that, but I just find it fun and entertaining. I love to people watch and, but you know, it's a place where you can, there's so much happening and there's so, so much of an overstimulus. It's the only place I can ever really go where I can forget about all the work I have to do and all the emails I have to answer. And it just lets me escape into another world for a few, for a few hours. Okay. I have to know, have you seen Cher in Las Vegas? No, I haven't. But um, the last time I was there, we went to see Donnie and Marie and my sister got backstage passes so we got to meet them, which was the really nice oh. people. And, you know, we saw, we've seen, we go every year. So, you know, we've been there for about 25 years. We go as a family. We, wow. have fun. we got to see Siegfried and Roy and we've been oh, to, cool. to Soleil. And so, you know, I was, I was really kind of impacted when both Siegfried and Roy passed yeah. away. In fact, one of the trips, we stayed at the Mirage and they were at the table next to us having, having dinner. And um, so I remember looking over thinking it was so cool. They were with their manager, but you know, another time we met, we went and it was my mom's birthday. We were celebrating and we met Steve Wynn was at a table with Steffi Graff and um, oh, her husband, uh, what's his name? Uh, yeah, remember. Boris Becker. Boris no, Becker. No, um, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Andre. Andre Agassi. Andre Agassi. I can't believe I couldn't think of that. And they were having dinner at the table next to us. And um, so I was I was coming out of the bathroom and they were standing there and I said, it's my mom's birthday. Would you mind coming over and saying hello? And they came over and said hello. And they were just as nice as could be. And so had some good memories there. Yeah. That is awesome. All right, Kim. Well, it's uh, time for a fun little game we play with our guests. And uh, this uh, Two Truths and a Lie is in honor of our friend, Cam Kirst. We always play in Cam's honor. I so love you're Cam. Gonna t- yes, we do too. And let me tell you, if you want to learn anything about Cam, you play this little game with her okay. and you will learn something you did not know. Okay. Um, yes. All right. So you're going to tell us three statements about you. Two of those will be true. One of them will be a lie. And Sandra and I are going to work through, we're each going to vote 
and we're going to see who's right. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Okay. So three things. Um, one is I've taken trapeze lessons. Whoa. Two. Okay. I've been to all seven continents. Okay. And three is I feel lost when I'm not working. Okay, buddy. I got to be honest with you. Like I have a, I have an instant gut feeling on this one. Okay. I don't because clearly, you don't. Okay. No, okay. Because I think they, they could be, I think all of them could be true. I mean, I don't think, I think she like. I think the third one, I don't think she feels lost when she's in Africa. So that was the only one that, that, that was the one that came. I, I know I she feel lost work. when I'm not working. Sorry. When she's not, when you're not working. Mm-hmm. so see but then when she was in Africa she says she just enjoyed that so that the lost feeling goes away she doesn't feel like so I'm thinking that may but that's the only one because I do think she's a work person I think that that's that's what I'm saying I think it could be true I think I see her as a trapeze she could she could have been on that trapeze trapeze <laughs> thing and then what was number two? <laughs> what was the number two? That I've been to all seven times. Yes, I see. I, yeah, I believe it. that. I believe that. So I'm okay, going to go with buddy. Number, I'm going to go with number three. Number okay. Okay, buddy. No, but, you, but buddy. You so here's what. Here's here's where I'm getting hung up. Where in Illinois slash Iowa slash New York slash Massachusetts? Where does one go to trapeze? I mean, it, it almost sounds like oh, that was it's, like so it's made up. She likes to go to the, she likes to go to the play, and I think that there may have had a oh, maybe in Vegas. You think? Yes, I'm thinking there may have been something. Come on, you gotta, buddy. Okay, okay. You think right. Listen, you I think I think it's the trapeze thing. You think it's I'm gonna the, go number three. The third one. All right, Kim, help us out. What is it? Number two. Oh, oh, no. Are you kidding? No way. You so no way. I've only oh, been to six continents. I haven't yet oh. gone to Antarctica. <laughs> buddy, you, buddy, I didn't even you think about win. that one for a second. I, we yeah. got shut out. Okay, so I, wait. Where do you go to trapeze? How, how, does, how does one do that? They had a trapeze school when I was in, when I went. I had moved out of Arizona, but my brother lives there. And in Phoenix, they had a trapeze school. So I went to it. It was so fun. So then I took my niece's trapezing. And did you, did you like let go and fly around? And well, like- they, they work you up to that point. Um, no, I mean, I trust me, Ooh. being able to do the catch is really pretty hard. The guy who, you know, does the catches pretty good. My, um, and I took my nephews there too. And, and one of them came very close to being able to do that, but it's amazing with just a few lessons, what you're able to do on the trapeze. It's I, I, was, I, don't I was think all in. Do I, knew that. I knew she did that, but I knew she'd been to all seven continents. All I can wow. say is that I just really, th- even though she's a work woman, she is <laughs> right. a worker. I thought when she said that she loves going to those places, she turned it off. Oh, I blew it. Okay. So you, win. you win, Kim. You win. Yeah, you, you, you win. might you win. You have the most, the most names that I've ever heard anybody being around. The celebrities you've been around. I mean, you win. 
what what a gift this has been honestly oh, it's been 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 so much fun to talk to you i will admit i was a little nervous before the podcast oh, but it's been oh a conversation gosh. with two good friends that's what this has been and truly enjoyable i would do it again in a heartbeat but thank you for giving us your time because your time is valuable and you've given us a lot of your time i look thank forward you. to it how could I not look forward to being with both of you? And in fact, well, why, what's one of the big reasons I went to Alabama? Because when Charity asked, I thought I can't say no to her. She's just, <laughs> I love her too much. I, I need to go to that conference. So, well, you're both Kim, you, are, you, are, you are far too kind. I love you as well. Thank you so much for being on the show. And buddy, this brings us to the close of another exciting episode of Scaling the Summit. And you know what? Great news reminder for our listeners that even though we won't be together this year in Birmingham at the Health and Physical Literacy Summit, we will be back February 13th through 15th, 2022. Bring your Valentine, bring your presentation. We'll be in Birmingham together and uh, we can't wait to see everybody in person. So thanks for listening. Hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.